Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Good morning, everyone. My name is Chad Stewart. I'm one of the pastors here at Vineyard Springbrook, if this is your first time with us. Um, And I don't know about you guys, but Lindsay texted me last night and she was like, hey, I don't think I'm going to make it. I'm flying back from New York City and I'll be stuck in Atlanta. What Atlanta is, what New York City is to Lindsay is what Atlanta is to me. And she's a godly, loving pastor. Like, she wakes up and she goes, I'm going to drive three hours. I'm going to be there by the end of it, but I'm going to be there. And I'm like, it's okay if you don't come. She's like, no, I'm going to. You can see very intent, no matter what we would tell her. She was going to be here even if she got here and none of you guys were here. So <laughs> just, just so she could smell the remnants of the candles from Advent. Um, Um, She loves this time of year, and then inside my own heart, I got a tad bit convicted because I was like, if I was flying back from New York City and I was stuck in Atlanta right now, it'd be 30 minutes until Jenny's ice cream opened. (laughs) And I don't know about you, I would have geared up, not ate anything in the airport, which is impossible for me to do, because for some reason, love airport food. Um... And then after that, I would have went and tried every flavor, every sample of every ice cream at Jenny's Ice Cream and settled on the one I always get this morning. Um, (laughs) That's what Brambleberry Crisp, if any of you want to know, it's in the stores of Food City and Kroger. So if you want to try it, go for it. That's what my response would have been, but not Lindsay's. She's here, and we're thankful for it. Lindsay, thank you for being, like, honestly, thank you for being here. (laughs) Um, But at at this time every year, especially if you're a pastor, um, and we've talked about this a lot here, there are those thin places where heaven and earth are so close, where God's kingdom and this earth are just, feels like they're about to unite. And as a pastor during this time of year, not And with it not only being Advent, but if you look at the time of year in which we're in and what our last few years have been like, you feel a little extra weight during this season. And I think we all feel that. And so instead of praying and being up all night on Saturday night, that was Friday night for me. I was just in there praying, Lord, what do you want to do? Father, what is it that you want to do? And as you guys know, I normally don't start out a sermon like this, but as I was sleeping but waking up and dozing in and out, it just felt like the Lord was yelling at me, freedom. That today in this service, and and listen, the Holy Spirit, God's with us every time we meet, but sometimes he comes amongst us and there's just a little bit more of his presence, a little bit more of his power. And so I say that not to hype anything up this morning. Um, You guys know me, my personality. You guys have been around me a tad bit now. My personality doesn't lead to eccentricness at all. In fact, you may be wondering if I even like you still. Or is he joking? I'm not sure. He said it with a straight face. And I promise you, I was joking. Um, 
But I say that uh, because when we call out what he's doing, we can lean in more to it. And we can bring our expectations to that. And we can commune with him with that. So I'm going to pray, ask his presence to come. And I just want you to be aware that he's here this morning. He's wanting to bring freedom this morning. So I'm just going to pray and we're going to jump into our sermon today. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are good. We ask this morning, God, that you would bring us to the realization of your presence already amongst us. And not already amongst us, but in us. And so, Holy Spirit, come and do that mysterious work that you do that we don't understand. And we may not even know it's happening to, that it's happening to us. But we surrender to you and what you want to do this morning. And so, Father, we love you. And we want more of you, so come. And it's in your name we pray and hope. Amen. Um, a moment ago, Katie lit our Advent candle today, representing peace up here at the front. And last week, me and Johnny were looking up here, and we were looking at the pink candle from the back. And we were like, oh, my gosh, we need to replace that thing. Like, like it's, it's looking pretty weak. It's looking like impermanent, looking like it could be snuffed out at any moment. And so in our minds as church leaders, it's let's replace that. And as I'm writing my sermon, I put in a subtle request, do not replace that candle because it's the only way I know to get into my sermon. Um, because to me, as I reflected this week, I thought of that candle. It's, uh, it's by all looks, it's impermanent. It's weak. It looks like it be, could, could be snuffed out at any moment. And that reminds me of what peace can be like in my life. And in this world, weak and permanent and can be stuffed out at any moment. Anyone else experience peace that way this week? Uh, I know I have. There for a moment, but seemingly gone in a second. And we're all aware of the outrage and disaster that's in our world. I mean, just this past couple of weeks, we had another school shooting that brought us to the realization that where kids should be safe, they're just not. And instead of being able to mourn that, instead of being able to come to terms with what happened and the young lives that were lost, not even the lives that were lost, but the young life that did the shooting that's lost and, and what kind of thing was affecting his own life, it's weaponized into whatever issue you want to say by any political issue or gun issue on both sides. And then outrage happens and we don't even have time to sit in it and deal with it. Then a storm has raged through our country this week, killing over hundreds of people and leaving thousands homeless. We have another new COVID variant surprise, Omicron, like that name just thinks of Greek warfare to me. I think of any Greek movie I love to watch, and it's this big, ugly monster coming out of the sea. But, and, but we don't know what that's going to look like. And then there's the issue even closer to our heart of the stress of basic life. That leads to battle in every human endeavor. That then leads to fear and despair. And then that fear and despair in our hearts tends to justify hatred, slander, and violence. That basically sums up political discourse in our country right now. And if you're a Christian, you're not separated from these things. We may know that we don't hate people, but we secretly critique and live in contempt towards things and other people. 
And on top of that, our mental and emotional capacity is nearing its limits from the constant noise of life. But in Advent, in this Advent season, we are reminded in John 1 that a light signs into the darkness of this world. And the darkness cannot extinguish that light. And the question I believe the Holy Spirit is asking of us this morning, which is our warm-up question, is this. What is more real to you and your heart? The darkness that surrounds your life, the darkness in the world, or the light that has come into this world? Which one is more real to you? And now I don't mean that as a theological question, because you guys can answer that easy. Well, it's the light, one, that one. Or Jesus and prayer, those are also the great answers. They always work. But no, I'm asking, in your everyday reality in life, is the light more real to you than the darkness that surrounds it? Conflict and pain, tragedy and sorrow seem to be these permanent everyday brute facts in our world. Take a look, and like I've already said, you can find darkness somewhere. The uncovering of inside the church of abusive, le- of abusive leadership and decades of marginalization of human beings made in the image of God, which we have times turned a blind eye to or didn't even know existed. And being in a place where you hope to find peace. Uh, the most recent Mars Hill podcast uncovering the abuse and narcissism of Mars Driscoll has appalled anyone who listened to it. But if we go back a few years, all the people appalled to it now, we're probably listening and eating up his teaching just to point out our own faults and how we can look over things. And then decades of even more recent civil discourse leaves us wary and the hatred of political parties and systems just kind of slimes all of us. The darkness that we see in our world isn't any more different than the darkness at the time of Jesus' coming. The Roman government was abusing Israel, God's people. The religious authorities were demanding heavy religious and ethical burdens upon their people. They had been in exile for so long that the people were desperate for another deliverance from the pain and darkness of their everyday existence. Their world was once divinely ordered and secured in God, and then for generations they were stripped of any hope under these seemingly immovable brute facts of life. And any illusion that they could control their circumstances um, were shattered. And it felt like they were living in purgatory, a purgatory of God's judgment and absence and silence. And in the midst of all that, John the Baptist was declaring that light was about to enter darkness. In John 1, 6 through 9, it says, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, is coming into the world. Light, hope, peace in the midst of darkness and pain. The light and the proclamation of it suggest, even in the imagery, that there's a future, that there's reason to hope. The imagery itself leads to that sort of reaction. In this case, God is coming to reign in this world. So be comforted. Have peace. And light doesn't deny the existence of darkness. It doesn't deny the certain hard, brute facts of human existence. It just lets us know that there's another reality filled with divine intervention and divine intention, which produces in us expectation and confidence 
that doesn't allow darkness to control the narrative or our own hearts. The knowledge that light is coming is a bold declaration and image of the character of God to a beaten down people. So today we lit the candle of peace as a proclamation that there is in this world a light. And so this peace we talk about in Advent isn't just an ideal we talk about every year. It's a big deal. It's real. And it's not just a big deal because of social and political realities. It's actually a bigger deal within our own hearts. Bishop Todd Hunter has this to say about the hatred and contention that you see in the world. And we have this quote. He says, it rarely occurs to us that such ruthlessness does not find its source or rationale rationale out there. And my unintelligent, evil friend, family member, or colleague. Now listen to this. It finds its source in here. My mind, heart, thought, life, and emotions. And the current structure of my desires. And in my fear-based, anxious need to control outcomes to win at all costs. Our current set of disordered desires is what must change if we are to be constant agents of peace. Otherwise... People are just objects to use, not persons to love. Um, uh, So in the last couple of weeks, I had this meeting, and I'm listening to this other pastor. I love this person, and I promise you it's no one in this room before I tell this story or anyone with us. And I'm listening to them tell this story, and then I gave, gave just this basic answer, and they rebutted me with a different answer. And the answer they gave, right, um, I had to pause and think about for five seconds, and no lie, it was the longest five seconds of my life because what they said to me was just dumb. Um, I don't know if that ever happens to you, but it happens to me sometime. And this person said it, and I'm like, Okay, here's who this person is. I'm going through every index card of every scripture ever thought of on this subject. And I'm thinking, where in the world did he get this? Where did this person get this? I love and respect this person. They're a little bit definitely wrong. Now, luckily, it was no... (laughs) Welcome to my mind. Um, And, like, it wasn't a big deal of, like, I think they're going to abuse their people or not anything big or moral. I just... Thought it was, hey, we're looking for some sun, some some sun sign here, and that's just wrong because I just don't think you want to deal with the brute reality of the fact of it. And so I'm thinking in my head, and luckily, not because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Luckily, I just go, huh, <laughs> and I leave it there. And so later, I go home and. I'm just talking, and I get in bed next to my wife, and we're just talking about our day. And I'm like, hey, do you ever feel like you need to always correct people? And she's like, who do you think you're talking to? And I'm like, we're both the same in this. Like, like I'm thinking about this. I'm like, Jesus, why does this still bother me? Right now, I'm laying down to bed. I'm next to my wife that I love. My mind should be on this moment and going to sleep, but for some reason, I feel this need to correct this person. And if you know me, on Strength Finders, my number two is competition. And I used to hate that, but I really think it's a gift God's given me. He's made me complete to compete against the kingdom of darkness to bring the kingdom of God. But sometimes that, that gift gets disordered. And sometimes I want to compete with, well, no, I'm right, you're wrong. 
And so the issue really wasn't that this person was wrong. It was the desire of me to be right and for them to say, yes, I agree with you. And then in that moment, I hated myself and went to sleep. Um, what else are you going to do at that moment? Be like, oh, that's dark. And now I'm telling you all that. Um, but I woke up in the morning and I go, Jesus, help me to be aware of this. This happens way more than what I think it should. Um, help me with this. And so in essence, what my story reveals and what Bishop Todd Hunter was talking about, the reason peace is not seen in the world is due to the lack of peace within our own hearts, our disordered desires. And because of the lack of peace, we feel like darkness has backed us into a corner and we must do what is necessary to find peace in the darkness. Living in anger, agitation, and strife. And at this point, if you're living there, your circumstances, and get this, guys, your circumstances start to inform your view of God instead of allowing God informing your view of your circumstance. And that's big because the darkness is more real to us than the light. For example, if we bring up one of the biggest questions, the problem of suffering, does the issue of suffering make you hold God in the balance or does God help give you context for the issue of suffering? Those are two very separate things. And we see the reality that in the world today, but the root of this lack of peace comes out most when we're looking at the religious order of Jesus' day. The reason why you heap heavy moral and religious burdens on yourself and people is because you've been in exile for over 400 years. Something has to change. So the rationale is that the reason they have not been delivered is because of their sin and disobedience. So to get out of that, they need to earn back his love and flavor and favor. They're blinded by their circumstances, by their darkness. So when Jesus, God in the flesh, light of this world comes and he's living among them and he's doing the works of God for them, for their sin, for their shame, they crucify him. They're so blinded by the darkness, they can't see the light that's right in front of them. So in this Advent season, I want us to turn to the light. I want us to behold Jesus. And Jesus is a leader, guys, if he's not anything else. And leaders know they have to answer basic questions about human life. If you're a leader in any scale of a church or anywhere, you know you have to answer these questions. And today it's how can I live a life filled with peace? And I know a normal question for us Christians is the sovereignty of God. But let me tell you, the sovereignty of God really doesn't help if your God has given you a cancer because of your sin. Right? The sovereign God doesn't help you at all if God is bloodthirsty and out for judgment anywhere he can find it. If he's poking these little holes in your life and pointing out all these things to judge you, if that's your view of God, the sovereignty of God is terrifying. And so it doesn't give us much hope. Might I suggest to you that the only way to have peace in this world is to trust one undeniable fact about God. His love for you. It's the only place to start. And that's what I want to talk about for these last few minutes. That peace with God, ourselves, and the world must be rooted in the unchangeable love of God. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible, John 15, verses 3, three through 5 and 9 through, time, nine, well, 9 through 10, it says this. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. 
remain in me and I will remain in you. Your branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitless unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now listen to this. This just is another Bible verse. Listen and come to the reality. This is the very words of Jesus. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commands and remain in his love. So here are a few things I want to say. Jesus says you are already pruned, which means you're already cleaned. This saying does not imply that we are perfect or that there will never be other seasons of pruning or spiritual washings in our life. But for our purposes here today, for finding and living in peace, it means this. There's nothing more you need to do in order to clean yourself up to have peace with God. He's already made peace for you. All the cleansing we need was accomplished in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But we put our judgment of ourselves onto God. Because we don't like ourselves, we make God not like us. A lot of other people don't like us. We assume God, especially a holy God, must not want much to do with us either. But we can't grow in peace if this is the pattern or thought that dominates our thoughts and relationships with God. Through the words, you are clean, Jesus meant to assure his first followers that their discipleship to him, their hearing and obeying his teachings, meant that they were already pruned of wrong ideas about God and his purposes in humanity. You are already clean. The second thing, you are already loved. Can this be right? We are loved by Jesus the way the Father loves him. Think about that. Jesus loves you as the Father has loved him. In 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about love and the character of love along those lines. And in verse 7, it says this. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always preserves. Now, one of the terrifying things of this that we have to come down to, that's the character of love. It always protects. The Father loved his Son. There is no sin, no blemish, no disconnection between him. And Jesus is saying, that same love he has for me, I have for you. And in that, one, one of the characteristics of that is that it always trusts. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't always trust myself. But perfect love always trusts. So what does that mean about God's love? He trusts you. Is that hard to deal with? Does that sit well? Because you know all the reasons why, but Jesus is perfect love. He trusts you. He hopes. Like, it's not this, I don't want this to seem like weird or anything, but Jesus hopes in you. He has hopes for your life. He, and then it, he believes. An, 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 another translation says, for hope, believes. He believes in you. You may not, but he does. And it always perseveres. That means his love for you will never change. No matter what you do, Jesus will trust and believe in you. Once again, Bishop Todd Hunter has this to say about this verse. The invitation here is to make Jesus' love for you the atmosphere and overall context of your life 
not the things of earth. As a branch, you find your true home in the vine. There is no other source of human meaning and fulfillment. Your home is not found in the things of earth. So the vision for life that comes from being loved by Jesus means that his love for us is what we're most conscious of. Before we enter any moment of life, the love and acceptance of Jesus are already a place that we dwell. Jesus' love is meant to be the place where our hearts and souls find peace. We are most anxious, even abandoned, when feeling unloved or unaccepted or unaffirmed. Most of us routinely go through cycles from being settled in love. They're searching ruthlessly and restlessly for love outside of us in this world or from others. But the story that defines you is already one of love. That's who you are. The last, the instruction to remain in his love. Having told us we all love, Jesus invites us to remain. This is an invitation to a life in which we stay put, guys. We just don't go around looking for something else. How I normally talk about how I do this is um, I'll realize during the day I haven't spent time with Jesus or something like that. And I particularly don't feel like spending time with Jesus that day. It feels like a burden just to sit still. So I'll go into my office, which there's this big chair, and I'll lay down in it. And I'll say, Jesus, particularly right now in my life, I really don't believe in your love I'm just going to sit here in silence. I want you to do what you do. I don't know how you do it, right? But you come in. You change my heart. You make me believe that I am loved. And I just want you to come. And that's really all you have to do. You you don't have to read your Bible and pray for five minutes and be like, okay, now I feel like I can talk to you, God. Um, Or worse up. Um, You can just enter into it when you don't feel like it because you are loved. Because God is worthy of worship. So even if I don't feel like it, I can do it. I can raise my hand. But he gives us this instruction to remain. Thus, love is what gives our life a sense of permanency, a settled state of being. I am loved, therefore I am. Like this weak candle up here at the front, God's love is nothing like that. It's not weak, it's strong. And the Apostle Paul knew how crucial the experience of love of God was to our Christian life. He says this, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure and fullness of God. And so how does that take root? What does it look like when we remain in love? An example that I can give you is... um, When I am disconnected from God, when the darkness is more real to me than anything else, and I'll use the relationship of me and my wife, if because the darkness is more real to me, my issues are more real to me, then the light of Jesus, and I say an uncomforting word to her, react in a way towards her, which is unloving, and my wife is rooted and grounded in love in that moment. She's rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus. She responds with peace and a gracious word. And the reason why she does that is because she's not looking to me for love and fulfillment. She's already gotten that in the fullness of God's love. So in our relationships, she can still see divine intention in my life. She can still believe in me. She can still hope in me. She can still trust me because she's abiding from that well of love in which God is. And so in that, she can bring me back to peace. She can speak that gracious word to bring me back to life. 
right, instead of that word in which if she's divorced from the love of God, it's just going to bring more contention and strife. And that's what we have in our public discourse, no matter where you want to find it, where you have contention, where we find contention in the world is that we're looking for peace, we're striving for peace, we're clawing and fighting for it. It's why leaders abuse, they're trying to find peace. And so when we remain, we can live in that well, we can respond in a kind word. We don't have to argue back and be correct, we can just say, huh, okay, right? So that's what it looks like to remain in this love. So to end us here this morning, I want to say this to you. The world, as it presently is, is a perfectly safe place for you to be. That may not sound true. Not because of any of the things in this world, but because of the light that has come into the world. And as we lay our lives down to trust to Jesus and his love, this place, your life, is a perfectly safe safe and peaceful place to be. And you can have peace today and every day. So the question I have for you is, where are your eyes focused? Are you so focused on the darkness? Does the darkness overwhelm you? Or is your focus on the light? The light that signs into the darkness, the light that is our source of, source of hope and being in this world. So I just want to ask you that, where is your focus? So we're going to end here in Selah. The band can come up. But two things I want to do with us, it's more of a praxis this morning. Now, I want to encourage you. Like, I think the Holy Spirit's here. I think he's doing things in our hearts and minds. And we're going to have um, Amy and Jamie in the back waiting to pray for us during communion. Um, So I encourage you, get prayer. Because I'm definitely a kingdom now guy. I, I believe Jesus can bring peace in this moment. I had a guy walk up to me and we prayed for his hip and prayed that God would heal, heal it this week. And we prayed and he tried it out. We prayed again, tried it out, prayed again, tried it out, prayed again, tried it out, prayed again, tried it out. I wasn't giving up. But in that moment, the kingdom was coming. I was like, I'll see you again next week. We will try eight more times. Because I just believe in the love of God that can intervene in a moment. And the last time I was praying, I was like, do you feel anything right now? And he goes, man, the only thing I feel is peace. And I'm like, good. That's a start. That's just a small inbreak of the kingdom. And the kingdom of God starts out as a seed, and then it grows. And so that moment of peace was just an inbreak of God's kingdom. And I'm like, well, we're going to keep on praying. And you remember that peace. So prayer... Getting prayer can give you peace. But what I specifically want to do this morning, because I would be ignorant to believe that we don't have things that bother our peace in our own lives. And so I'm going to take one minute, and I want us to align our bodies with God's, because that just kind of helps. So one of the ways I do that for the first minute, I want to pray for us, and I want us to place our hands like this. And what this says is, God, I give you those things which are not bringing me peace. I surrender them to you. But here's the deal. If you can't surrender them and you want to hold on to them, open your hands like this and just ask him to take it from you. Because he doesn't always do that, but he's done it for me sometimes. He just came and took it. And so whatever posture you want to take for the first minute, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask the Spirit to come. 
and we're going to give it to God, and then I'll follow up with the next minute with one more praxis, and then Lindsay's going to come and do communion. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. Father, the anxiousness, those things that are not giving us peace, right now, Father, we surrender them to you. And so just let your heart speak to God.